0: Our reading from God's Word this morning is taken from the Gospel according to St. Matthew in the first chapter, and we'll be starting at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God.
1: good morning before we dive into our passage this morning in matthew we want to share with you an exciting update from our thanksgiving service that we had last week as part of that service we had a members meeting with almost 200 members in attendance thank you for those of you who are with us at that meeting the members unanimously approved the following candidates as deacons jeff stewart as the deacon of ordinances cindy stewart as a deaconess of newcomers, and Greg Bloom as the deacon of transportation. Yes. These three individuals have shown themselves to be faithful servants in these areas, and you as the membership have agreed that they are so, and you've asked them to serve in this office of deacon here at Grace. Praise the Lord for his provision. Let's pray together. God we thank you for providing these members as deacons to our body these servants of yours to fill this office uh, that you have created and just as you've provided the church in this way with these members and these deacons we ask now that you would provide for us illumination that you would open our eyes to what you were doing in this text this morning that you would help us Know you more today. Make us more like you. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning, to share with you from the Word. I'm excited to walk through this passage with you today. If you were with us last week when we started the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you heard Pastor Mark preach from chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 17. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In this genealogy of Jesus Christ, we see that he was a real person in recorded history. We also heard in that genealogy about the various people who were in the lineage of Jesus. Many people who we would consider failures, outcasts, or nobodies. And yet God used them to bring about his redemptive plan to send Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners. We heard last week about all that came before Jesus, how we got to the point of his birth from a family historical perspective. And now this morning we see the more immediate circumstances surrounding the birth of this baby. In this section today, the author of Matthew is giving us an answer to one very important question. How did the birth of Jesus Christ take place? we see that he's answering this question in verse 18. He starts out by saying, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. As Matthew gives us the answer to the question of how did it take place, we're going to see his answer focus on Joseph and his experience. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, there were two people involved in Jesus' birth, and Mary had a lot to do with it. Yes, she was involved in Jesus' birth in a very important way, She did have a lot to do with it. The account that focuses on her experience we have recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Many of you would read Luke 2, maybe on Christmas morning around the tree before your opening presents or on Christmas Eve. That focuses on the experience of Mary and her relationship to the birth of Christ. Matthew here zeroes in on Joseph and his part in this grand story. If we're imagining the author of this gospel here with us today, as he's writing Matthew, he would be saying, this is where he came from. I told you about all his descendants, I told you about his history, his lineage, his past, and now let me tell you the story of how he came to be here. The first thing we see in this account, how did the birth of Jesus Christ take place? We see a dilemma for Joseph. Joseph faces a very serious dilemma. Right away in verse 18, we find out the unfortunate news that while they were betrothed, Mary was found to be with child. Found to be with child. She's pregnant. But Joseph and Mary are only betrothed. Culturally speaking, this would have been a phase after engagement. Uh, Many marriages were arranged in this day, and so the parents would have gotten together while the husband and wife were even a young age and decided that they would be married to one another. A commitment would be made at that point, a dowry would be paid, and they would enter this period of betrothal. Joseph would begin preparing a house for Mary, a home for her, creating a space where they would raise their family together. In their day, this phase of life would have been held in higher regard than our engagement. It was held in such high regard, and it was such an intense commitment, that the only way to break off the betrothal was through a divorce, an official legal divorce. This was not a scenario where one could merely run away and leave the other at the altar, as we see in movies today. This was the commitment of marriage, yet to be consummated, but a lifelong commitment nonetheless. So Joseph has a very serious problem that he needs to deal with. Imagine, he's working on the house, he's looking forward to his marriage, he's excited about all that is to come, and then he finds out she's pregnant. What must he have been thinking and feeling in those moments? There could have been any number of emotions, from disappointment to discouragement, frustration, potentially sorrow and grief, maybe shame. Now, in his day, Joseph had a few options of how he could deal with this problem, how he could deal with this dilemma. Option A, he could divorce her quietly. He could gather the legal documents together send her off to have the baby alone and in shame, potentially on the streets if her parents would have disowned her. That was one option he had. Option B, he could get the legal documents together, divorce her publicly before the religious leaders, openly shame her for what she had done, and have her stoned. The third option is he could marry her anyway and bear the shame and reproach of a woman who was pregnant before marriage. Any of these options would have been acceptable in his day and culture. They would have not only been acceptable, they would have been approved of as right and correct and just. He would have been seen as doing what was right. (coughs) So what does Matthew record Joseph's plan to be? In verse 19, we see his decision. He resolved to divorce her quietly. It's interesting that Matthew calls him just and unwilling to put her to shame. He was choosing a right, just action, but also one full of grace. He was allowing her to live, and while she would be sent off to have this baby alone, she was not going to be publicly shamed or stoned. Joseph was going to deal with this dilemma in the most upright, gracious way he could consider. Here in verse 20, however, as we continue reading, we see God intervene. God performs an intervention in verses 20 and 21. We see all of these issues and challenges and disappointment and confusion and a decision to make, and Joseph has resolved to take some very serious steps in his relationship with Mary. But let's look at verses 20 and 21. It says, as he considered these things, <clears throat> behold, <clears throat> Excuse me. an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We don't know the timeline of Joseph's decision. We don't know how soon he was going to act on what he had resolved to do. But we do see that God intervened. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and tells him to follow through. He tells Joseph to trust and move forward, to continue on with the plans he had originally, to wed Mary and take her as his wife. Note the title the angel gives Joseph, son of David, the writer just recorded for us a genealogy of all of the historical people who came before Jesus. <clears throat> it includes David, and given the fact that Joseph was in the line of David, it would have been encouraging for Joseph to hear him given that label. And it's a reminder to us of the lineage that Jesus comes through. God's promise to David was that there would be a king crowned from the line of David who would rule forever. And now Joseph is called son of David. Note what the angel tells Joseph. Do not fear to take Mary. Well, what would Joseph have been fearing? Probably public shame. Possibly an abandonment by his family. The possibility that his betrothed is not an upright woman like he thought she was. The angel tells him not to fear and then follows with the why. Why should he not fear? Because the conceived child she's carrying is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's not by the will of a man that she is conceived, but by God himself. Mary is not an immoral woman. She's carrying the child of God. Do not fear to marry her because she's carrying the child of God. In this intervention, what else does the angel tell Joseph? He says, she'll have a son, and you, Joseph, are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What an intervention. What a communication. What a dream. Not only are the bad things you're worried about not true, there is more good coming that you could, than you could have imagined. Not only are the bad things you were concerned about not going to happen, but the best you could have possibly imagined are going to be superseded by what reality occurs. Joseph is being told that this son will save his people from their sins. In our text now, as we continue through, we see an interjection by the author It's the author's explanation of what's going on in verses 22 and 23. He interrupts this account. Remember, he's sitting down telling us the story of how Jesus Christ came to be born. And he's recounting what happens to Joseph in this dream and he pauses. He interjects, he interrupts his storytelling to give an explanation. Look at verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a pause in the account of what had occurred, and Matthew, the narrator, says, wait a second, I need to tell you something. The reason this is happening is to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He says this in verse 22, and then he quotes Isaiah 7, 14. Maybe you have a reference in the bottom of your Bible, a footnote that points you back to Isaiah 7.14 in the Old Testament. Now, we often think that this prophecy in Isaiah from 7.14 was given hundreds of years ago. And Isaiah, out of the blue, gets a word from God that hundreds of years from now, there's going to be a son born of a virgin. And he was looking ahead to this future day in the coming of the Messiah when he spoke these words. But we need to look back in time to see what's really happening in Isaiah, to understand why Matthew pauses his story and quotes it in the narration of the account of Jesus being born. We need to get the context of when these words were first written. With all Scripture, we need to understand the context of what is being said. Taking Scripture or verses out of context can make things mean things that they were never intended to mean. And so before we jump in and and fly past this Isaiah 7.14, we need to go back and look at it. I know we just got out of Ecclesiastes. And we're not going to be in the Old Testament for long, but we need to pause here for a few moments, look at Isaiah, and see what is really happening in this story, in this account. So back in Isaiah 7, we see that Isaiah is sent to speak to King Ahaz. King Ahaz is known as one of the Evil kings of Israel, Judah. He's recorded over and over as one who had rejected God and disobeyed. So Isaiah is sent to speak to him. Why is Isaiah spent, sent to speak to King Ahaz? Ahaz was ruling over Judah after the kingdom of Israel had split north and south. So Israel was in the north, Judah was in the south. Ahaz was ruling over Judah at the time. And at this time, the king of Syria and the king of Israel to the north had made an allegiance. And they were going to attack Judah in the south. They were going to overtake them, overthrow him, plunder them, right? They were going to surround Jerusalem. And when the people of Judah heard this, Isaiah 7-2 says, The heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. The people of Judah were scared. These two nations were coming at them. They were going to attack they were going to overwhelm them. They're going to take them into captivity and plunder all that they had. They were terrified. So God sent Isaiah to Ahaz to explain to him that God would take care of them. God had a plan, He was in control, and He was sent to tell Ahaz just relax, trust me, I will take care of your enemies. He says to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. He speaks derogatorily of them, these two kings who are planning to attack Judah. He says, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Relax, I've got this, God says to Ahaz. Then through Isaiah, God says, I'll even show you a sign. Why don't you ask for a sign, some proof, that I'm going to do what I say, that I'm going to take care of you, that I'm going to protect you and defeat these enemies of yours. Ask for a sign. And Ahaz self-righteously says, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. I could never do such a thing. And we know later that he already has a plan in his heart, and this is part of why. The Lord lets him know he's serious, and even though Ahaz rejects the sign, God says, well, I'm going to give you one anyway. You don't want a sign, that's fine. I'm giving you one anyway. Here's the sign. In spite of the rejection, God gives it to him. And this is what we read in Isaiah 7:14. The virgin shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A lot of us end there. But as we're looking for context and trying to understand what's happening in Isaiah, we should continue reading and understand what ends up happening. We see more of the story. In verse 16, Isaiah continues with his prophecy before he, the child to be born, before he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Meaning, before long. So Isaiah seven fourteen is a prophecy saying a child is going to be born and before the child grows up, before the child gets too old, before too long, these two nations that you're worried about are going to be decimated, wiped out, gone. You don't need to worry about them. Trust me. Wait. Have patience. Isaiah goes on for nine verses to describe the blessings and abundance his people would receive and the curses his enemies would experience if Ahaz would simply trust God to take care of him and defeat them. With the prophecy in Isaiah 7, we read on and see in Isaiah 8, a child is born. 7.14, 7.14, a child will be born. Isaiah 8, a child is born. We might think, well, that's not the child he was talking about in Isaiah 7. He talked about a virgin. Well, in the Hebrew language, unfortunately, the word virgin could be translated or also mean any woman of childbearing age. So in Isaiah 8, chapter, verse 3, he records, And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Again, meaning before long this is going to take place. Before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, how many of you as parents remember the day or the moment or the time, or maybe even just the one who was called mother or father first, right? Sometimes it's like a competition. They say, Mama or Daddy first, right? And you're overjoyed when they speak those first words. Ultimately, any word is wonderful, even if it's neither of those two. But before long, before long after that birth, these things are gonna take place. See, what had happened was instead of trusting God and resting in his plan and power, Ahaz instead had devised a plan to ask Assyria for help in defeating Syria. Israel. Ahaz did not sit and wait quietly. Ahaz did not trust God to protect him. Ahaz did not obey what the Lord had commanded. Instead, he defiled the temple of God. He entrusted himself to another nation and he took matters into his own hands. The result is seen in verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah 8. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks and will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Ahaz rejected God and chose to act himself. And so that son was born, but before he became too old, Judah was wiped out. Assyria overwhelmed them, and they were destroyed. So in Isaiah with this verse 14 that is so popular at Christmas time, we see more context of what the author is communicating. We see a prophecy that's fulfilled within a matter of verses in Isaiah 8. The Lord gave the sign of a child and a promise to save the nation of Judah if Ahaz would trust him. Ahaz rejects this sign, chooses his own way. The child is born and Judah is overtaken. So what does this quote from Isaiah about King Ahaz dropped into Matthew, the account of the birth of Christ, mean? for the account of how Jesus came to be. Remember, we're answering this question. How did Jesus Christ come to be born? In what way was he born? Well, before we answer that, we need to see what Joseph does. In verses 24 and 25, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In these verses, we see the Savior is born. The Savior is born. Joseph obeyed God. Joseph did as the Lord commanded him. He was told not to fear to take Mary as his wife, and he took Mary as his wife. He was told clearly to call him Jesus. And in verse 25, he called his name Jesus. This is not a small thing. This change of direction is not a minor matter. Remember the challenge Joseph had been placed in. His betrothed, pregnant, without him having anything to do with it. And now in a dream, an angel tells him it's from the Holy Spirit. Now, we sit here today, and we think, yeah, I would have done the same thing. I would have listened to my dream and obeyed the vision and, you know, put up with the repercussions. I don't care what people think about me. I'm not so sure, at least about myself. I think put in that situation, many of us would struggle to obey, would struggle to find the way forward, would struggle to face the shame the unknown, the confusion, the disappointment, the hurt, the pain. We would have struggled to take that step forward. We may have even disobeyed altogether. A few minutes ago, we talked about this prophecy of Isaiah. How does this fit into Matthew? But as we look at these two accounts side by side, we see the stark contrast between Ahaz and Isaiah, and Joseph, excuse me. We see the stark contrast between Ahaz and Joseph. Instead of trusting God and resting in his promise, Ahaz took matters into his own hands. And as Ahaz does this, a child is born. And instead of the blessings that were to come to the nations, curses came instead before that child was very old. We see in Matthew, he quotes that same promise, that same prophecy. A baby will be born and God will be with his people. This time, Joseph obeys. He does not take matters into his own hands. He does not act in accordance with his own will or come up with a better way out of the problem. He obeys God and blessings flow to the world as Joseph obeys. The question we asked at the beginning was how did the birth of Jesus Christ take place? How did Jesus come? So how did Jesus come? He came, in part, through the faith of Joseph. The trust in God that caused him to remain with Mary, not taking matters into his own hands, but depending on God for how it would turn out. How do we respond in difficult situations? What is our standard operating procedure when it comes to challenges before us? When there is an unknown in front of us, a challenge we're facing, a disappointment, dismay, sorrow, or grief. I think most of us are more often like Ahaz, taking matters into our own hands. We try to manage situations so they come out best for us and maybe okay for other people too. That would be nice. We often plan and strategize. We look to ourselves and other people for answers. We work ourselves into a frenzy, trying to plan out all the scenarios. If I do this, then this will take place, and I can fix this by doing that, and I'll talk to this person and convince them that this is true. We wreck our nerves and we overwhelm ourselves with trying to control the uncontrollable. We attempt to be God and we continue to fail. We know what God would have us do. And often, what He would have us do is wait, trust Him, obey Him, and let Him bring about the outcome He desires. How much more could we rest in God and his word? How much more could we trust him to care for the matters we face, to depend on him as our solid rock, our protector, our defender, our deliverer? Over and over in scripture, we see people trying to control situations and take matters into their own hands. and This often brings about worse outcomes. When you're in the midst of a trial or a difficulty, the circumstances around you will be changing regularly. Minute by minute, second by second, it might seem sometimes. But the one thing that is steadfast and true is God. And if he has called you to do something or called you to not do something, the only way forward is obedience. The only way forward is to trust him in what he's calling you to do. Do not manage situations. Do not take matters into your own hands. This is a practical matter that we've been talking about for a few moments, but consider the eternal matter that is before us. How does Jesus come into your life? How does Jesus come into your life? Through trust, trusting God's plan of redemption. This plan of redemption, Jesus coming as a baby and living a perfect life that is expected by God. We prayed about it this morning. The law that was given was fully obeyed in Jesus alone. And we sang this morning about how he chose the death of a sinner instead. Dying on the cross in our place, sacrificing himself for our sins, rising again three days later, So as we trust in him for salvation, we too can have the hope of eternal life. This plan of redemption that I've just shared sounds too easy for some and too hard for others. We can often fall on one side or the other. Some say it's just belief. It's it's just too simple. I should have to do something to deserve eternal life. There's got to be some checkbox I can complete so I can know that I'm in. There's got to be something I can accomplish so that I can have access to God in heaven and eternity. It can't just be faith. It can't be that easy. Others say it's too difficult. Maybe you're sitting there and you're skeptical about the whole concept. Miracles, virgin birth, dreams of angels, eternal life. You say you can't put your faith in someone that you can't see but you can see his work throughout history we see his work in the pages of scripture this morning taking that man Joseph facing what he was facing in the world he was facing it in and in one night drastically changing his actions and his decisions we've all eaten a bad meal here and there but this is not that this is not a dream that you wake up and say, huh, that was weird. I'm going to carry on with my life. This is a miraculous appearance of an angel of God that changed Joseph dramatically. This is a miracle we see happening in him. And I guarantee if you ask people here this morning, they will be able to tell you about the miracle God has done in their lives. He works, He acts. He saves. God tells us that he is with us. Looking back, we can see the reality of Emmanuel. We have a, an opportunity here in this day to look back on all of Scripture and see Emmanuel, God, with us. We can see him working Genesis through Revelation and even through today. It's interesting that both Children were told to be named Emmanuel, and neither were. One was named Malishish, whatever I said before. (laughs) The other was named Jesus. Why is that? Both prophecies said God would be with us. Well, we can look back now and see that God was working. Thousands of years ago, as Judah was overwhelmed ready to be taken captive, God was working. Even using evil kings like Ahaz to show the Israelites and to show us the opposite of what a good king would be. To give us a desire and a hunger for the true righteous king. To give us that want for the reality of Jesus Christ. We can look back at the account of Matthew and obviously see that Jesus is God with us. His life, death, death and resurrection, reveal him as Savior. This morning, will you trust him to handle all you face? Will you rest in his work on the cross for your salvation and sanctification? Will you depend on him completely? Will you, through the power of the Spirit, Trust God. Do not take matters into your own hands. Follow his leading and obey his will. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word, for the revelation in scripture of how Jesus came to be, the work that you did in Joseph to give him the strength to obey you. Lord, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts this morning now, that your Holy Spirit would apply this to our hearts in whatever area you're calling us to obey, in whatever place you're calling us to trust and rest and do your will. Give us the strength through your Spirit to do that. And if we do not yet know you and have a saving relationship with you through Jesus, grant us that conversation now. I encourage us to take a few moments of silence to apply this message to each of our hearts.